Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Michael Bottomley. I'm up from San Diego for the morning. I've been up here before, and uh, both on the music team and able to preach, um, I think, once or, once or twice. Uh, with Bryce gone today, he's invited me to uh, bring God's Word, and so I'm thankful that I could be here. Um, the, uh, it's been great to see just kind of the birth of Resurrection OC uh, and how it's growing. Uh, that book, The Art of Neighboring, we actually did in our community groups at our church uh, about a year and a half ago, um, and just phenomenal book. Really kind of gets you to uh, open your eyes to see what's right around you and what God is, uh, who God has placed in your lives um, where you physically live. Uh, so it's a really great book. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be going, I'm going to be preaching from Mark chapter 4, and I think you, if you have these Bibles right near you or around you, I'll read from there. Um, Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. So let me see what page it's on here for you. Mark 4, it's on page 839, if you're not familiar with where the book of Mark is uh, in the New Testament. So Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. Uh, Let me just read the scripture. And he, it's Jesus, Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, He explained everything. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that um, you have made yourself known to us, that you've revealed revealed yourself uh, to us, not only in creation, uh, but uh, especially in this revealed word of of Holy Scripture that you have preserved for us, uh, that the prophets of old and the apostles of the New Testament uh, were moved by the Holy Spirit to write down. Um, And so, God, we ask that since these are words that you have inspired, uh, that you would cause these words and the message to uh, ring true in our hearts, uh, that we would be challenged in our minds, and that our wills would be moved to uh, to not only see you more, uh, but to operate lives uh, that uh, are in line with with your character and in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this morning, God, I pray that as we, as we hear from you, uh, would you forgive us our sins? Uh, would you remind us that at the cross of Jesus, uh, that his grace is sufficient for everything? Uh, and that as we come to hear, uh, no matter what stage of life we're in, what we're experiencing and going through this morning, that your desire is for us to hear you. Uh, and so we ask for that by your spirit and the power of your spirit in Jesus name. Amen. Well, 
If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, um, I don't know if you ever find this, but I have. I don't know if you ever find the Christian life frustrating. You know, the, the Christian life is one of these things where it seems like uh, we put in all this effort um, over, over all the time, and it just doesn't bring the growth in our lives that we're looking for. Uh, we can be doing all the right reading, we can do all the right praying, going to church, we can do all these things, but then we don't really feel like we're being moved or really being changed in the way that we want to. Uh, and I think it's, it's very hard uh, to live that way because our culture, especially um, American culture, and I think I would say uh, it's exacerbated in Southern Californian uh, culture, but the culture basically says if you're not growing, you're dying, right? If you're not changing, if you're not seeing changes in your life and you're not uh, making incremental changes day by day or month and, and year by year, then something's wrong with you. You're not living your life to the fullest. Uh, there is, um, there's something inherently wrong with you uh, and you should get yourself checked somewhere. You know, there's something that is, that it's just, it makes life so frustrating. And I think we bring this into, if you're following Jesus, um, we bring this into our lives and you're saying, I just can't defeat this sin. I can't break this pattern. I'm not seeing this person in my life that I'm praying for change. Like, it's just, you know, we can get frustrated. We can grow angry towards God. We can grow even uh, greatly apathetic to our own faith. Um, and so there's, there's things that, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge. Do you think that's the battery? Or do I have to do something? Try not to brush. Moving the wrong ways here. Um, but it can, it can get very, very frustrating, and we can grow disillusioned in our faith. Uh, and if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you may be interested in him, but you're not following him. Uh, and, or perhaps you're a skeptic. Uh, you're a little unsure about this this religion of Christianity. Uh, first, let me say that I know that uh, Pastor Bryce and Jason and the leadership all love the fact that you're here. Okay, they love that you're here. I think it's great. I think it takes a lot of courage to step into a church, into a situation that you may be completely unfamiliar with its practices, uh, some of its language. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an awkward thing. And you may even be completely opposed to Christian beliefs. And so it takes a lot of courage for you to just even be sitting in in your chair this morning. And the passage that I read this morning is a passage today, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, uh, God has something to tell us about this thing called the kingdom of God, uh, that the real historical person, Jesus of Nazareth, could not stop talking about. In fact, if you read through the book of Mark, it's what he is always harping on, the kingdom of God. Uh, and I, so I think that this morning is that uh, wherever you are in this kind of faith journey, in this sojourn life, um, experiencing God and living and loving Him or just trying to find, find Him, uh, the kingdom of God is something uh, that we can all um, appreciate um, and really be able to hopefully articulate a little bit better in our lives. So what God has promised, what Jesus promised about the kingdom should give us all hope. And I think there's two main things uh, that I'm going to look at this morning that Jesus really brings to us in two parables uh, in, our, in our passage. Now, uh, my first point has a few sub-points, uh, so um, forgive me for that, uh, but if you're taking notes um, as I rapidly go through the sub-points, don't think, yes, we're almost at the end, because he said there's only two points. 
Um, but I've got two main points here. Uh, and the first thing is that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of great growth. Okay? A kingdom of great growth. And as a kingdom of great growth, Jesus points out three things. And the first is that God's kingdom is growing. It is growing. Jesus set, sets up a simile here. He says, the kingdom of God is like. He says, it's like a seed that was scattered. It sprouts and grows. It produces. It keeps, keeps growing. And Jesus is comparing the kingdom of, of God to something botanical, something that is growing. It's agricultural. Um, that no matter what it may look like on the surface, it is growing. Okay? And we read that, if you've read the New Testament, if you look in the book of Acts, from very humble beginnings, there's the first century explosion of Christianity. Throughout history, even when it's appeared that the Christian church has not been growing or the gospel was dormant uh, or somewhat silent, God's kingdom has continued to grow. Uh, and even today, from our vantage point, uh, sometimes it looks like the kingdom of God is is not growing, it's being suppressed, it's being beaten uh, down, but there is actually explosive growth happening um, in God's kingdom. There's an article just from two years ago from the Washington Post that said, in 1980, there were more Christians found in the global south than the north for the first time in 1,000 years. Today, the Christian community in Latin America and Africa alone account for one billion people. Over the past 100 years, Christians grew from less than 10% of Africa's population to its nearly 500 million today. One out of four Christians in the world presently is in Africa. Uh, and the Pew Research Center estimates that will grow to 40% by the year 2030. Asia is also experiencing growth as, as the world's as Christianity's center in the world has, not moved, has moved not only south, but east. Uh, and so in the last century, Christianity grew at twice the rate of population in that continent. Asia's Christian population of 350 million is projected to grow to 460 million by 2025. The global religious wild card, they say, is China. That even today, demographers estimate that more Christian believers are found worshiping in China on any given Sunday than in the United States. The kingdom of God is growing. What about for you here at Resurrection Church? In Luke 17, Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, the kingdom of God is within you. He's saying that there's this, there's this thing called the kingdom of God. It's not only out there, but it's actually within you. And better translated is among you. He says, you know, whenever two or three are gathered together in my midst, you know, in, in your midst, there I am. And he's saying that the kingdom of God is, if you're a follower of Jesus, the kingdom of God is present, not just out there, but in, in here. Okay? It's in here. And so what that means is that whenever you gather, whether it's Sunday morning or in your community groups or for prayer or whatever it is, whenever you gather in the name of Jesus, the kingdom of God is truly present. And it is growing. It means that even if you feel stagnant, God is moving. Even if you feel like you're not getting the results that, that you want, God is at work. Even if you want to give up on God, he has not given up on you and he's working in you. 
His des- that's God's desire. He's, his desire is to work within us and on us to produce us more and more into the image of his son. And friends, I think we need to remember this, that the kingdom of God is growing. Okay, it is growing, and there's nothing, Jesus says in Matthew 16, there's nothing that can stop its growth. He says not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. That gates of hell is a Hebrew idiom meaning death itself. Not even death can stop this kingdom. It's, it's growing. So that's the first thing, that God's kingdom is, uh, is growing. Second, that God's kingdom grows through our sowing. You know, you, if you look at this parable, uh, upon first glance, it sounds like the American person's dream come true. Right? All I got to do is spread some seeds and I'm going to have this incredible harvest. I think if I had dreams like this, you know, where that would be, happen at work, I'd just do a little bit of work and I'm going to have this amazing bank account. You know, it's just, I, I can just do a little bit and it's going to, I don't have to do anything. I can just watch the market go up and down and be happy and I'll be fine. I'll have enough money for my kids and for retirement and we'll, we'll be fine. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Notice he said that there's actual continual work going on here. Uh, that the work, our work is vital. He's saying that if the kingdom of God is within you, if you're the church, he says, then the church is actually the one responsible for growing uh, or for sowing the kingdom of God. And one of the things that this means is it means that you and I are the instruments of God's growth in this world. It's not government. Leaders come and go. It's not social reforms. They change with every culture. It's not better education or a stronger financial portfolio or moral transformation that's going to bring this lasting hope into this world. While all those things are important, it's good and right to have some of those things. Uh, It's good and right uh, to how we handle money and to be morally upright citizens and people. Um, Those things will not renew. They will not bring harmony. They will not bring shalom to the world. The hope of the world is God's church. Brothers and sisters, we bring the renewal that the world is longing for. How are you doing at sowing? Individually and as a church, how are you doing at sowing? I think this is incredibly humbling that God would work through us. That God would work through us. And it's also very empowering that God would work through us. Very empowering. So let, you know, let's, let's not give up. Let's not stop running the race. Uh, let's press on. Because God's kingdom grows through our sowing. Uh, but thirdly, we see that God's kingdom grows by his power. <coughs> Notice in verse 27, uh, sowing we can do, growing we cannot do. See, in verse 27, the seed still sprouts and grows while this man is is sleeping. He has no idea how it grows. So it is growing. Now, um, I was trying to think of an illustration about this. And uh, forgive me if this is not the deepest illustration you've ever heard in your life. But uh, one of my sons is five and a half and he loves uh, to play Super Mario Galaxy on the Wii, which apparently the Wii is now out, right? I don't know if anybody knows. There's Wii U. I mean, I still have it. 
um, but it's now like ancient. But uh, he he plays that a lot because it's pretty much the only game that works. But he loves Super Mario Galaxy, and uh, a few a little a few weeks ago when he was asleep, uh, there's certain days he's not allowed to play, and on those days somebody else goes into the garage to play Super Mario Galaxy um, that's related to him, that may be his father. But um, I, I, I would go in there and I'd make amazing advancements on this game. I mean, huge advancements. No one makes advancements like me. Um, but um, no one understands Super Mario Galaxy like me. The other day, I ended up beating the game, right? I ended up beating the game and I was like, yes, you know, Bowser was defeated by this 40-something-year-old, <laughs> not quite middle-aged man, uh, working on this game, by my work through this game. Um, and Jacob wakes up the next day, and, um, and we played, because it was a Friday, so he could play. Um, and he said, Daddy, we beat Bowser! Right? He was so excited about all this work that, that we've done together. Um, and, uh, you know, yes, he had some effort involved with it, but... You know, it was really daddy behind the scenes doing all the work. Daddy was the one getting Jacob these new stars and new galaxies and being the bad guys. So daddy, uh, I mean, Jake was sewing, uh, but daddy was definitely doing the growing. Um, and I really like, it's probably much better. This is why Charles Spurgeon was a better preacher than most of us and myself included. Uh, but I like the way that he said this. Uh, he was a 19th century English preacher. Can you make a seed germinate? You may place it under circumstances of damp and heat, which will cause it to swell and break forth with a shoot, but the germination itself is beyond you. How is it done? We know not. After the germ has been put forth, can you make it further grow and develop its life into leaf and stem? No, that too is out of your power. And when the green grassy blade has been succeeded by the ear, can you ripen it? It will be ripened, but can you do it? You know you cannot. You can have no finger in the actual process, though you may, though you may promote the conditions under which it is carried on. Life is a mystery. Growth is a mystery. Ripening is a mystery. Certainly this is true of the rise and progress of the life of God in the heart. It enters the soul and roots itself, we know not how. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 said that I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God's been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. And then in Philippians 2, he says, it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Friends, I think this should take away all spiritual pride in our lives. Right? The child in God's kingdom looks at her or his life and says, yes, I have sowed, but God has grown things. Uh, and I think this gets more evident the older we get, is to look back and say, oh man, what a wretched person I am. I really have had very little to do. And God has really carried me along. But it should remove any sense of spiritual pride of just saying, you know what? I'm a Christian. I did it. So can you if you work hard enough. It should also take away all of our worries and our burdens to see change in our lives, but change in the lives of the people that we're praying for, the people that we love. 
Uh, because God is at work. He is the one who causes growth. It's not your performance. It's, not, it, it's God's performance. It's not your control. It's his control that will change them. It's not my ability to use fancy theological jargon or apologetic arguments, though they can be important in the right place. It's God's work to change lives. And so it should give us great, not only take away a lot of our worries and our burdens of needing to feel like we have to change people, but it, it should give us great patience with people and with ourselves. Because like the man in the parable, we don't know the timing of God's work. We don't know the timing. And this is probably the hardest thing, isn't it? Is patience waiting for change. I, in one of my relationships right now, I, this is being tested to the nth degree. Uh, and I want, I want change right now. I don't want things to happen right now. I want the difference to be made right now. Uh, I look at that friendship and it's almost hard to even hang on to it. Um, I, I even look at you know, things in my own marriage and like, I want change to happen now. I want it to happen this week, God. If you can't, don't do it this month, you know, I'm done. Things like that, thoughts like that. <coughs> And the patience that God is growing in us is, I mean, he's the one who's going to take those seeds and, and cause them to grow according to his will. And, you know, it doesn't mean you stop. I mean, you've got to pray for change in community groups as you meet. Um, change in people's lives for the gospel. Get out there. I think you did a cleanup or something yesterday, right? Uh, in the community to help the community uh, see how much you love them and and to come to church and hear the preaching uh, of the word and to worship together, God is going to take those things and use them to grow you. And he will grow you in his time. In his time. So, uh, you know, I think when I begin to think about that, that really begins to actually lift uh, some burdens uh, and begin to produce some patience in me. Not perfect patience, but it begins. So it's a kingdom of great growth. Um, but secondly, and this will be much more brief, um, that God's kingdom is a kingdom of great grace. Kingdom of great grace. Look at the second parable. Uh, in this second parable, uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't get this just by reading this passage. Uh, but Jesus' hearers would have known exactly what he was talking about, what he was referring to. Do you see how uh, he refers to, um, to birds perching in the tree in uh, verse 32. Um, what Jesus is doing there is he's referring to Old Testament imagery. He's referring to prophetic language. And in Ezekiel chapter 17, uh, in referring to God's great kingdom, Ezekiel declares, using imagery, that God will take a small sprig from the cedar tree, plant it, and he says it will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it, and they will find shelter in the shade of its branches. And then in Daniel 4, in King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, his kingdom is referred to as an enormous tree in the middle of the land. And it says that uh, its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. 
Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. You see, the Old Testament prophets used the image of a tree to represent the magnitude of a kingdom. That this, this kingdom tree would give shelter, it would give food, it would give shade, it would give life to all of those in it and under it. And in Genesis chapter 2, at the very beginning, in verse 9, when Adam and Eve enjoyed harmony with each other, harmony with God and all of creation, it is absolutely no mistake that in the middle of the garden was a tree. Well, two trees, really. But was a tree. That God placed two of them there. One of them was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the other was the tree of life. Uh, Hebrew scholars say that it was in the middle of the garden uh, because the middle is the focal point. Kind of like if you're, you know, you're throwing darts and trying to hit the bullseye. For those of you who can, congratulations. Um, but it, it's, that's the focus of where every eye was supposed to go. And that's why it was in the middle of the garden. It's, we're drawn to there that the tree of life represented humanity's place to find life and harmony and shade and shelter and sustenance. And as long as Adam and Eve ate from that tree, they would have it. But the problem was is that they believed that life could be found somewhere else. From another tree. They were convinced that they could be magnificent human beings. The people that they were meant to be. That they could have their best lives now if they ate from something else. And the problem is that decision plunged humanity into believing that mankind could be great and magnificent if it ate from something different than God's <coughs> Friends, this is why we have disharmony. This is why we don't have shalom and peace in our relationships. It's why we have disharmony within ourselves, disharmony with God, and we think that we can claw our way back into the Garden of Eden if we can just be good enough if we just be smart enough, peaceable enough, moral enough people, and we're trying to, we're trying to claw our way back in, and you know, it's, it's kind of like um, this image came to me. I grew up in Canada, and so when you drive through the mountains in the wintertime, you see all these frozen waterfalls. It's the idea of, the, and, and some people climb them. I don't know if you've ever seen ice climbers. Crazy, but they do it. But the idea is, I thought, you know, this is kind of like trying to get to the top, trying to get to the, the tree of life is like trying to climb an ice waterfall with plastic forks. That no matter how hard you use them, they will not succeed. You never get to the top, never get back to the tree. And friends, it is absolutely no mistake, no mistake that in the New Testament, the cross of Jesus is referred to as a tree. Five times in the New Testament. In 1 Peter, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. 
so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The cross is the tree that we're to turn to if we want life. If we want sustenance, if we want shelter and shade for our souls, we must turn to that tree. Because it's at that tree where we find harmony and shalom with God restored. All other so-called kingdoms operate on effort. You want to be be great in this world? Work hard. Want to be magnificent in this world? Work smarter. Even all the other religions of the world say, want peace for your soul? Want shelter? Want sustenance? Want shade? All these things? Do the right things. Read more. Meditate more. Pray more. Eat, pray, sleep more. Read, eat, pray, sleep more. Whatever you need to do, do these things and you'll have life. You'll find it. And yet none of those kingdoms brings what the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ will bring you because the kingdom of God is different. It's not a kingdom of good works. It's a kingdom of good grace and great grace. It's not a tree of effort and personal goodness. You can perch in the shade of the cross because Jesus worked hard for you and perfectly for you. He did everything that you and I need to do to get back to the tree in the Garden of Eden. Everything. It's why Jesus at the cross said, it is finished. It's not just because his life was over. It is finished. I've accomplished what God sent me to do. If you want to be great in the kingdom of great grace, it's different. This world says... If you're not growing, you're dying. The kingdom of God says, if you're not dying, you're not growing. Will you die to yourself and rest in this kingdom today? Rest in the protection, in the shade, in the sustenance that only Jesus brings. No matter how how frustrating and how hard you find the Christian life to be or your life to be, you can be guaranteed that God's kingdom is a promise of great growth because there's such great grace in it. So as you come to God this morning, uh, along with uh, the great hymn writer, you can say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I claim. Let's pray. God, in many ways, this uh, message of clinging to the cross of Jesus, of finding shade and sustenance uh, and shelter and life, um, while it rings true to us, it's not easy to do. Uh, For the, the storms of life are battering us and bruising us. The challenges of life seem like they're obstacles that are we maybe can't overcome. And so we, we cry out to you at those points for life. We need sustenance. We want joy. We want to perch 
uh, in the shade of your tree. And yet, it's so hard to, to stay there. And, and so, God, we thank you that you have accomplished through Jesus what we need. Now, it's not even my effort or our effort to try and be more joyful, to try and feel like we have more life, but it's the life that you have purchased for us, that you are holding on to us, that you promise that if we are indwelled by the Spirit of God, and this, those who are indwelled will cry out, Abba, Father. That you promise to be with us. You promise to grow us. You promise to um, provide for the way that you know we need. And God, would we look to Jesus, who at the cross purchased what we need? And would we look to his resurrection for the power that we need? For Jesus, you have overcome all those things that hold us in doubt, in disbelief, in disillusionment, in apathy, even in rejection. You've died for those things to bring us back to the garden. Let us today not claw our way there, but to cling, to cling unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.